Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Welcome to Caleb and Becca Page. We're excited they're here with us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Brittany. Um, I have known um, Becca especially for a long time. I've known her family and um, known them through church. And so um, I found out about their pregnancy and their medical concerns and um, all of that while she was pregnant. And so I had the privilege of kind of knowing a little bit about that. But let's start with just your medical journey with James. So this was your oldest Mm -hmm. um, and kind of tell us when y'all knew something maybe wasn't right. Um, I was 32 weeks pregnant and we had just moved to Tupelo, Mississippi. And so my OB just wanted to do a regular growth ultrasound just to check in on him and see how he was doing. And they, um, the, I will, I'll never forget that ultrasound technician. Just, she was so quiet the whole time and she was showing me pictures of his face and I was just on cloud nine and, um, but she didn't say a word. And the doctor, I was the last patient of the day and it took forever for my doctor to come in. And, uh, she came in to that room and she just said that he had, she picked up a problem, um, with his stomach and, um, he had, a ba- double bubbled is what they call it. Um, it was an obstruction in his, between his stomach and his intestine. And that's what she was looking at and taking the time to make sure she was ready to come in there and talk to us about it. Wow. Did you, could you even tell once she said that, could you even kind of see that on the ultrasound yourself or was that too hard to detect? Just. I No, I couldn't see it. I, I it didn't, I mean, to my untrained eye, mm-hmm. I was just looking at his sweet little face. It was like a 40 ultrasound mm-hmm. and I couldn't tell it. But um, apparently, I mean, once she pointed it out, it was, you could see it basically looked like he had two little stomachs. Okay. Okay. So you're there alone? Yes. Okay. So you call Caleb. How do you then? Caleb actually called while um, I was in the office with the doctor. And she, do you want to talk about this? She got on the phone with him. Yeah, so we were living in Tupelo, Mississippi at the time, and I was working in an office in Boonville, Mississippi, so it's about a 45-minute drive. Um, So I called Becca, knew she was at the doctor, and she was just sobbing, and so I knew something not good was going on. Mm -hmm. And the doctor got on the phone, and she, she said, oh, God, I wish you were here. Wow. And... She said, your son's got this duodenal atresia is what it's called, and it's where the stomach and the duodenum don't link up. Um, but it's a hard marker for Down syndrome. Uh, it's most commonly associated with 
uh, cranial abnormalities and and uh, cardiovascular abnormalities and she said I've never seen any kid have this and not have other issues um, she, she said this is I just wish you were here to be with your wife um, and it was yeah it was a very tough phone call mm-hmm. man I can't even imagine so you leave you said it's at the end of the day mm-hmm. you leave kind of go home to meet and process mm-hmm. um, she wanted us to go our next steps were targeted ultrasounds and an amnio and um, so we kind of started that process of getting into you know wherever we could get in the quickest and we ended up getting into a MFM in Jackson, Tennessee. And so that appointment was, this was the appointment, original appointment was a Monday where they, they found James's condition. And then we ended up going Wednesday. So yes, we, we went home and yeah, it was just a, it was a, a dark time. It was just a lot of unknown and a lot of fear and, um, just him being inside me and not, and just finding out that something is not right. And, um, especially at that point in pregnancy was really difficult because we kind of, I kind of felt like I was on the home stretch. Everything had been okay thus far. Cause what week was that? That was 32 weeks. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A lot of times this kind of, uh, out malformation or abnormalities picked up at a 20 week ultrasound. Okay. Uh, which is when they do the anatomy scan and mm-hmm. it wasn't with us. And so it really, it was just God's grace that we even knew this was going on mm-hmm. uh, because we had moved. I was in dental school in Birmingham. So a lot of Becca's prenatal care was in Birmingham. And then we moved to Tupelo and her doctor said, well, let's just do a ultrasound since you're a new patient. You know, we were thinking, Okay, well, let's great see his face again. So fun. And eight weeks from now, we'll have a baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you start to see maternal fetal, Mm -hmm. obviously, often. Have they told you that as long as he's in your tummy, he can continue to be okay because he's Mm -hmm. getting the nourishment he Mm -hmm. needs? He doesn't need to be able to, you know, do all the things outside of the womb. Have they kind of said, like, we're going to keep watching him, but why he's in your tummy? But we've now got to have a plan of when he's delivered and what's next. Kind of lead me through that mm-hmm. part. Um, so, yes, he we started um, ultrasounds every two weeks just to keep an eye on him. And um, they the biggest, the, it, with, as far as the duodenal atresia goes, the biggest concern of him staying inside was just building up too much fluid because he couldn't process that because of his obstruction. And so they were watching for that, measuring fluid. But then at those ultrasounds, they were also just looking for other things. And I grew to not like ultrasounds at all during that time um, because, you know, they started off just, oh, you get to see, like, how excited I was to get to see his face. But then I just couldn't stand them from there on out because of it just felt like they were looking for something wrong with him, which I know now they were doing their job and I'm so grateful for those, um, individuals. But at the time it just felt yeah, really hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't even imagine. So you'll go to Jackson. Mm-hmm. Do you stay with Jackson or do you then decide to come here to Memphis to start getting care? Oh, so we went to Jackson um, just because that was the closest MFM that could see us the fastest. And when you say MFM, would you mention Mater- that? Yeah, that's a maternal fetal medicine. Um, so like a high risk OBGYN. Okay. Um, and so we we had an amniocentesis there. He was a really, really encouraging person. Mm. He said, you know, I understand where your doctor in Tupelo is coming from. I do see this a lot more often than she does. She's a conventional OBGYN, and I see sick kids, mm-hmm. sick babies. And he said, I, I really think everything's going to be fine. And yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know why he felt that, but mm-hmm. it was really encouraging to hear. He said, I think we'll do this amniocentesis and then it'll be normal. And then he'll have to have surgery after he's born and that'll be kind of the end of it. And it, like I said earlier, I'm a dentist. And so for me, that was, that was kind of enough. Like I, I had a really smart medical doctor say, yeah, this is going to be fine. And we had this amniocentesis and it was really scary until we got those results. But kind of once we got the results, I felt better. Uh, Becca didn't, uh, which is understandable. Mm. But we, he asked us if we, he said, you'll need to go to a children's hospital. So you, Birmingham, or you're living in Tupelo, so Birmingham would be an option, or Memphis, do you have any connections there? And we kind of laughed, and we were like, yeah, my wife's from there. And he <laughs> said, oh, okay, well, you, yeah, okay. you can go to, go to Le Bonheur. Um So he transferred us to a, a MFM here at Le Bonheur. And we saw, his name is Giancarlo Mari. We saw him for a while, mm-hmm. prenatal. Mm-hmm. And then um, after James was born at uh, what's now called Regional One Medical, um, he was there for a few hours. Got to go to the NICU there. And tell me why. Why did you, because that's not always the norm. So tell me why they wanted you to deliver at Region One. Um, Dr. Mari wanted us to deliver it, the med or regional one, um, because of its proximity to Le Bonheur and the, the fact that he could, James could be moved over there very quickly after birth and be prepped and stabilized and ready for surgery. And also the NICUs work both ways. The doctors are the same over at the NICUs at, the NICU at Regional One, as well as at Le Bonheur. And so once you started getting closer to delivery, did you even stay here in Memphis to just be right there? Yes. we. Um, so my parents live in Cordova. And so we came, Dr. Mari wanted us to deliver at 39 weeks. And so we came to Memphis a week before that just to be here and be ready. And so we just stayed with my parents until we were induced on September the 3rd. Okay. And you, Caleb, are in a brand new practice. Yeah. Brand new job. You've literally worked there, what at this point, six, seven, ten weeks? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I graduated from dental school in May or June, and James was born September the 4th. So you're new new to Tupelo, new to to your new practice. So... Was that a understanding of, hey, we've had this huge thing happen. We're going to have to 
quote unquote, move to Memphis to be ready for her to deliver, mm-hmm. then we don't know how long we're going to be in the hospital. Kind of tell me that from that perspective of new job, new city, what that was like, new practice. I mean, it's not just a, you know, you take yourself out of the equation and they lose a practicing dentist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I was working in a clinic, uh, so I wasn't the owner. I was, I was an associate, essentially an employee, but the guy I worked for was beyond understanding. Uh, just such a blessing. He, when we first got the news, I neither texted him or emailed him just because I didn't feel like I could talk on the phone. And I said, this is what's going on. I don't really think I can talk about it at work with you or I'll break down. Mm-hmm. And he just said, that's, yeah, that's fine. And then anytime I needed off, which was such a, such an unbelievable blessing. He just said, yeah, you do what you need to. And our, I just have to add in just on that, you know, just thinking back on this time, we had just moved to Tupelo and our church family, we didn't know them that well, but it, and the community there just were so dear and gracious and caring. Mm-hmm. And it just meant the world yeah. to have people walk alongside with you, even yeah. they barely knew us. Yeah. But y'all let them in. I mean, y'all mm-hmm. obviously had to be open and honest about what you're going through, what your needs were. I mean, mm-hmm. we say all the time, people can't know how to help if you don't let them help. Mm-hmm. So y'all obviously let it be known. Mm-hmm. This is kind of what you what you um, needed. So you come to Memphis knowing that, you know, you were born and raised here, still had so much family mm-hmm. here. Um, come to Memphis, are prepared, birth goes well, kind of no. Tell me about the birth process. Any complications, any concerns at birth? Nothing. Uh, it was very long. Took a long time. <laughs> really? Okay. Um, 23 hours. 23 hours. Wow. Um, yes. He was not ready to, to, be, bo- to okay. be born. Okay. Um, so it was long, but um, labor and delivery at Regional One was just wonderful. They took such great care of us. And I, yeah, so finally he was born and I, when I saw him, it was like, I just felt this peace. Um, I, I just needed to, to look at him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had seen all these pictures of him and just, you know, heard all these concerns about him and um but it it really was just an incredible experience when he finally was born and I knew that we still had a road ahead of us but but it just helped me so much to be able to look at him and then I, I did get to hold him for just a little maybe a minute or two but I did get to hold him right away which was wonderful mm-hmm. and um you know, right off the bat, you know, his APGAR scores were good. He looked good. He um, he appeared to be doing well and stable when he was born. So we were super thankful for that. And so they took him right to the NICU there at the hospital. And um, in the meantime, my blood pressure plummeted (laughs) so um we were trying to you know 
deal with that, but they thankfully I got to I got stabilized and got to see him. They brought him back down. The PETA flight team okay. um, brought him back down before they took him over to Le Bonheur. So he stayed at Region One for just a little bit, mm-hmm. and then took him to Le Bonheur. Mm-hmm. Caleb, did you go with James? Did you stay with Becca? What did family do? Kind of where was everybody? I stayed with Becca that night, and my mom went over to Labonner and stayed with James because the NICU there was so great. I mean, mm-hmm. you could two people, I think, and mm-hmm. stay in the room with with the babies. And so mom went over there. I stayed with Becca. And then Becca was a trooper and lied and said she was feeling fine the next morning <laughs> when the OBGYN rounded. So she was discharged less than 24 hours after mm-hmm. he was born. Mm-hmm. And Probably so just, shouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> and then just wheeled over to Le Bonheur. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. We went, yeah, just right over there. Got over there about the time Dr. Eubanks started his surgery. Literally, we. I, my first memory of Le Bonheur was getting up to the waiting room, and Brittany, you were there. Uh-huh. And you were just waiting in there. I was like, what, where, where'd you come from? <laughs> just You just were there. Yeah. And... um. I just, that was so encouraging. And you were focused on him, but also you could tell I was in pain and you wanted to, you were tending to me too. And we got to go through the um, bunny tunnel at mm-hmm. Bonner, mm-hmm. So we got to take him through and pick out a stuffed animal, which we still have. And mm-hmm. that was a sweet experience. And I was still kind of in this like, oh. I just had a baby. Yeah. I'm kinda, so I was. I remember asking one the anesthesiologist, "How many do you put babies this little to sleep?" <laughs> she's like, "Every day." So. Yeah. She's like, "He wants to be." Let me tell you, yeah. about to, that's what he wants. So, really, within 24 hours, surgery was happening. He was 28 mm-hmm. hours old. 28 mm-hmm. hours old mm-hmm. goes in to surgery. By this point. Y'all knew that all those other concerns that had been markers for things or concerns for things were not, correct? They were, this I this is when I found this, I was very, I thought that, okay, it's fine. Those things were not, you know, he, he doesn't have those things or he doesn't have those other, you know, concerns. any other concerns. Okay. Um, but when we got there, the neonatologist wanted to, do a, you know, MRI on his head the and, a, stuff, you know, okay. ultrasound on his heart. They wanted to run genetics tests. And so that felt like a whole new wave of angst and okay. fear. Okay. But again, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for those But processes. you knew looking at him, you said you had some peace of like, yeah. okay, you know, we've got all of his limbs. We've got yes. all of his toes. We got yeah. all that kind of stuff. That part. Knew you still had a pretty big hurdle to overcome mm-hmm. as far as the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so y'all are waiting. He's in surgery. Y'all are waiting at Le Bonheur. Mm-hmm. Tell me, Tell me about that. The surgery was really quick. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, this is just a funny aside. Uh, we were just waiting for the surgery. And at some point it came up. I think my mom brought it up like, Oh well, if he's going to be circumcised, when are you going to do that? And because that's usually done in the in the room, 
as we've learned with other subsequent children, this was our first child, so yeah. all of this was new to us. Yeah. So my oldest son had general anesthesia for his circumcision. Yeah, lucky little guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucky but, little guy, which I was worried about with Forrest, too, because he left before that. You know, he left the the hospital where he was born before that, and I remember kept being like, well, when? And they're like, that is the least right. mm-hmm. <laughs> of his concerns. Yes. So like, but for me, I like, know. future. I know. Um, so and anyways, they, I'm with you. They also, Dr. Eubanks also discovered this other stomach issue that he repaired while he was in there that really? could have led to complications down the road. Okay. So that was encouraging. It, yeah, it could have just led to like diverticulitis down mm-hmm. the road. So okay. we were super thankful for that. So came back, obviously, then mm-hmm. healing had to occur, and then eating yeah. became a yeah, yeah. That was a the, definite. That obstacle. was the big thing. So after surgery, um, for I feel like for about a week, he was just on TPN. Is that what it's called? It's um, you mm-hmm. know, the IV IV that you know keeps him yeah. hydrated and everything. And um, it took a little while for him to come off the ventilator because they he had to get you know an MRI um, to check on the cranial possibilities mm-hmm. of problems. Um, and then, but he, I think he was on the ventilator for three days. Okay, and then. Um, You know, after that, we started with um, just like one cc, is that right? Five cc's. Just tiny amount. Tiny amount. Tiny amount. um, Yeah. Of food. And just kind of wake his gut up to make mm -hmm. him even understand Mm -hmm. what this is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was fixed Mm -hmm. that day. Yeah. Uh, There wasn't anything else we did for the next 18 besides get him ready to go home. Yeah. Yeah. Learning so, to eat. You obviously yes. can't leave until. Right. Yes. So just little by little, they mm-hmm. add that. And I know mm-hmm. as a mom and dad, you know, that, that it's hard for us to even kind of grasp that he may not, like, what do you mean? He doesn't know how to eat or mm-hmm. he's not processing the food because, you know, I, I eat more than I should. And so like <laughs> imagining this aspect of like, what do you mean he wouldn't want to eat or his gut doesn't right. understand that? And so it can often be a pretty agonizing wait for parents yes. knowing that that's kind of the only obstacle that's left that they have to learn. And so yeah. I often see moms and dads get really discouraged. Yeah. You know, one day he does real well taking it and the next he takes none. And yeah. one day it's you're able to give him all of his feeds and he does it, but he has to do it for numerous days. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, you know, He's got terrible diapers and can't Mm -hmm. do it. So I know that can be agonizing, just that part. And how much you're ready for him to come home. I mean, you feel like... Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because that was something I was not prepared for. Mm -hmm. I did not think... I I was thinking, we're having surgery, we're healing, we're going home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so when... And and I was planning to breastfeed him. And so um, that was another concern for me I thought oh is he just gonna is he gonna just be used to bottles and then never nurse or um but it was such a slow process um but I just think back on you know the people that encouraged us through that and you know that obviously you 
<laughs> such a, a sweet sounding board there yeah. and encouragement. Um, the lactation consultants, yeah. um, the NICU nurses, just everyone was just so encouraging and patient, and yeah. it helped me. Um, so you're pumping during this mm-hmm. whole time mm-hmm. and then feeding him your breast milk just mm-hmm. in small amounts until he can build up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so your your hospital stay, he gets to f- come home on day 18. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. He was supposed to come home on day 17. Okay. But um, he was doing the car seat challenge, oh, yeah. which we didn't think was going to be a problem uh-huh. because, you know, respiratory was not had never a, been his had issue. never been an issue. Yeah. Well, he was just agitated in that car seat, and then all of a sudden he just throws up. Oh, wow. And so okay. <laughs> I was highly emotional, and I called Caleb and just made all these assumptions that he was going to have to have another surgery or oh, anyway, but the sweet neonatologist that was on that day came and checked him out and he said some babies they just throw up yeah he just happened to do it <laughs> he just, on a very important yes. time i was like oh man so i we laugh all of our kids are you know our pukers i uh-huh. feel like we all from day one that's their thing <laughs> that's their thing so that made you stay a whole nother day we did stay another day from and there do his test again mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and then what was what has follow-up been since then, mm-hmm. and has he been followed? Is he? I mean, we'll talk about how y'all are today, many years later. But you know, what was that like as well? And yeah, then even future children for three years. Three years, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Three years for his abdominal, for the surgery, and just checking that. Um, he did have a follow up with neurology and a follow up with cardiology. Okay, because he had just some little spaces in his heart which were normal and okay. going to close. They uh, were pretty sure. So yeah, we had those at, at like one month and three months okay. for the neurology and the cardiology. And then we had checkups with Dr. Eubanks like six months and then a year and then two more years after that okay. just to check in. And they were pretty seamless. Yeah. Just, yeah. just making you sure everything about- was going okay. Like other children, it's. I feel like it was just a box that was checked on the medical history. You know, mm-hmm. the way medicine works, a lot of times is you're aware of these things, but it's not necessarily that you do anything about it. You just, well, this condition A goes with condition B often, so we're going to check all that out. And even like with James, they, you know, they checked him head to toe over and over and over and over. And... I told Becca at one point to try to encourage her. I said, they're not, they're just doing their job. It's, mm-hmm. That's what they're going to do. But also at the end of it, we're not going to get a letter that says he's okay. Yeah. Like we'll just go home yeah. and that'll be the end of all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's still, you know, a, a definite, I imagine even for y'all, you know, when he would spit up a large amount. Or oh, drug, he was a big spitter as you, a baby. <laughs> at times had to think like, Oh gosh, was it really not done perfect? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. is there something else going on? And I think, you know, as a whole, even when we technically go home with a healthy, totally quote unquote, you know, normal baby that has no health issues, you still, something happens and mm-hmm. you immediately go, that's the hard part of it. They can't tell us how they feel. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much of guessing. And, and But when you do have this road that he's gone on, 
of having a major surgery that needed to happen. You know, I think sometimes you can revert back to that and you really have to hopefully have a sounding board of someone who's, you know, calmer to be able to say, Hey, this is, he's, he's probably just being a normal baby. Like that was a bad burp. You know, that was, I needed that big time. (laughs) That was a bad bottle or, or, you know, he's having a bad day. I mean, Uh we all kind of have it. We just tend as parents to often go kind of worst case. Oh, for sure. So you all get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. Did you have fears? Did you think, did you have anybody that had reassured you this is, you said in there that you had genetic testing. Mm-hmm. Did the genetic testing all come back fine? Mm-hmm. Okay. It all came back normal. So you didn't, so moving forward, were you concerned? I know you well enough to know there's no way that you just breathe deep with any kid, <laughs> but did you have that like, what if the same happens or was it more now that something has happened, I know what a, what a blessing it is to have a baby that doesn't, mm-hmm. that it's that, I guess we would say it's not the norm that every child is completely healthy. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about that part of just your kind of fears and anxieties of future children. Mm-hmm. I, for a while said, I'm done just one, not going to do that again. And my sweet neighbor in Tupelo, she had two children at the time. And she all, she said, oh, you've got to give him a sibling. You've <laughs> got to give him a sibling. And I just remember her encouraging me in that. And um, so I obviously came around and got excited about trying for number two. And I definitely had angst and fear of... You know, I think less of what if this baby has duodenal atresia mm-hmm. because duodenal atresia felt, okay, doable. Like, yeah. we've done this. Yeah. If if we have it again, you know, that would be hard and we, we know how this goes. Um, but more of just going to those ultrasounds and waiting. It was yeah. just this – I was very triggered every time we yeah. – had an ultrasound and wondering if the test would come back okay or um and you had lost the the bliss of naivety oh yes you had lost the um the just i get to go in and see their precious face Uh and get a new picture it Uh had become for you more of a i don't know what they're going to tell me right and that is very scary, yes. you know, a scary, a scary, I had, you know, super similar. I mean, I, I feel for my OB to this day that I feel like every time I walked in, he was like, man, I got to brace myself because yes. she's going to be a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an ultrasound or not, she's mm-hmm. going to be a hot mess because I had lost all naivety that this is, everything's going to always go great and go right. wonderful. Um, and just that fear that lives yeah. there. I have white coat syndrome to this day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, so, and as a parent, because a lot of times kids have it. Yeah. As a parent, yeah. So if you go through something like this, it's either going to be your first kid or it's not. Yeah. And so for James was our first kid. And so I didn't have any anxiety until they tell us two days after our daughter's born that we can go home. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, no, that's not. I thought we stayed for like three weeks and y'all <laughs> yeah. hooked him up to a pulse ox and like, you know, all, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was just a weird, it's such a starkly different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, with James, we were so ready to go home and we got home and we slept with all the lights on and we, 
<laughs> looked at him all the time yeah. and slept yeah. with my hand on his chest. <laughs> I asked the NICU nurses if we could take home those all the gear monitors yeah. the leads yeah <laughs> they were yeah. like you don't need that's them what you've been used to for sure well how is your family today great yeah yeah i mean kids. it's kind of crazy yeah chaotic yeah we got three real busy kids yeah um but yeah we're james is nine just turned nine um his birthday is right around the time of the race mm-hmm. and Forest's birthday. Yeah. And so that's really sweet. Just sweet memories there and just remembering God's faithfulness to us during that time. Um, Sarah Campbell is six and Charlie is two. He'll be three in November. Okay. So, okay. so some might call it the trenches. <laughs> the stage of life we're in. <laughs> At least for us. I know. <laughs> and, um, we got the cheese on the cracker someday. I know. And I'm like, just hold on. Oh, there's, yeah. a diff- there's, a diff- there's a different one coming. <laughs> Holding on um, for dear life. Each stage, though, I mean, that's what you can, you never say one stage is harder than the next stage. They're just different. Yes. They're just really different. Yes. I have less of trying to keep children alive you know not to run into traffic or those kind of things that you still kind of got going um you know but but mine each have their own thing as Mm -hmm. well so the joys and heartaches Mm -hmm. this last part um is going to be just becca caleb had to head out because he needs to get back to his dental practice so we were so excited to have him here with us um but we're going to just finish out with becca so we're just going to go over just a couple other things so you know, your family, after going through your trials, and I talked about this when y'all first came in here, that in all my years of mentoring, that one of the things that I have realized I really can't speak a lot of truth into, or um, not that I say I can't help, but just talking about a different circumstance is that I did have the naivety to think that my pregnancy with Forrest was overall, I didn't have a bad ultrasound or a concerning or anything like that. And so I didn't have that angst that that you experienced mm-hmm. with him in your womb of the fears and the what ifs and the what's next and mm-hmm. wanting that it was very important that you kept him to full term, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and that I'm sure that the doctors had left with you of how much harder his journey would have been if he'd been a preemie Mm -hmm. on top of all the other Mm -hmm. things. And so I found that pretty early in mentoring that families that got hard, bad news in the womb, that that was just a very different journey than, you know, a delivery gone wrong or or any of those kind of things. So Mm -hmm. is there something is there any advice or encouragement or anything that you wish you had known that you could leave with other families that have been put in similar circumstances? Maybe got mm-hmm. a bad, and we've heard, you know, from the eight, 12 weeks to 20 weeks mm-hmm. to, you know, 32 to, you know, we've even interacted with ones that got bad news and two days later had to deliver. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. any advice or encouragement or something that you wish you had known or even looking back, wish you could have said, and maybe I wish I hadn't worried so much, mm-hmm. been so fearful because I lost that beauty of this pregnancy. Just mm-hmm. whatever your thoughts mm-hmm. are on that. Um, yes, I remember those last um, seven weeks so well. Um, and it was a really lonely time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were 
we had a, such a sweet community, but we were still very new there. Mm-hmm. Um, did not know many people. I remember Caleb would go to work and I would sit on the couch and just cry. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that, you know, I feel like I'm more of an open person now than I was then. I had a lot of fear in even talking about James's diagnosis with people because I was scared of whatever they would say would send me into a tailspin. tailspin. But I, you know, we did, there was a, an OBGYN that went to our church in Tupelo and I worked up the courage to just mention what was going on to him. And their daughter had the same thing. Really? And so I did see beauty and just being known in Mm -hmm. my suffering at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, it encouraged me. It was still hard for me to do, um, to, to talk about it and to be known in it. But when I did, it was encouraging and asking questions. You know, I remember she was the patient coordinator at Dr. Mari's group at the Labonner MFM office. And she cared so deeply for me and, the her, her patients um she was so willing to answer questions i've I, that's another thing that i i did str- i was scared to ask questions mm-hmm. i just thought i i would work it all up in my mind in the story in my own head of what was happening or google i gave up google through yeah. this process that's <laughs> do that's not google thing. anymore yeah. yeah um but yeah just and i remember you telling me in the NICU and it was during one of those tests. This was after James was born, but it was during one of the processes of, you know, I think he was having an ultrasound or a MRI on his head. And, um, I remember you telling, trust your doctors. Mm -hmm. And that was really encouraging for me because I think my personality is to stew or get fearful or think, just assume that, because they're checking on this, then he automatically, that means that he has a problem, mm-hmm. that they're just going to drop the bomb on me. Yeah. But they're not hiding things from, they're telling me all the information. Yeah. And that was such good advice um, that you told me because I I struggled with a lot of that, of the, just this angst of what what is really happening or they're, you know, just truly just a lack of control. And Mm -hmm. I've struggled deeply with that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and and it is so much, I mean, while he's in your womb, there's such a lack of control. Like you can't change or, or, you know, I've heard moms and dads say, you know, you, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing the doctors can do. There's literally, it's a, let's wait and see. Mm -hmm. We're going to, monitor them to make sure nothing changes right. or nothing gets worse or God forbid we have to deliver early to do any of these things. But it's so much of this wait and see mm-hmm. where when they're at least here and even if they're as sick as forest was, there is actions to be made. Right. And so if you, you know, you can glance at them and see, and, and I remember that even when Austin went into the NICU being able to see, I knew with my eyes that he wasn't as sick as forced. I didn't know what was wrong with him. I didn't know why he was kind of breathing fast and acting funny, but I knew he wasn't as sick as forced. And I knew 
that the doctors would do everything they can. And same thing, they ran every test. And, and I remember them even saying, like, you know, we think it could be blank, blank, blank. And my gut was like, I don't think it's blank, 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 but I mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. And we have to trust. And so that means we have to stay here seven days mm-hmm. and run all the different things. And so there's that aspect of even if they're here and they're really sick, there's actions to be done. And in the womb, it's just so much weight yeah. and lack of control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so just really you trusting, sitting in that, trying to keep, you know, as best you can calm and know that they're is a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what y'all said too, of finding people who could help you, you yes. know, that first person, there's a reason that doctors who specialize do so much more training and, oh, yeah. you know, go on to learn more and be more mm-hmm. specialized. And that aspect of just like your maternal fetal doctor said in Jackson, he had seen so many more cases mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and could take some of that off of y'all's shoulders of saying, I don't know exactly how this is going to turn out, but I can tell you I've seen lots that have turned out where it is just this one yes. thing. Mm-hmm. Where your OB obviously had not seen so much of that. Right. Um, and so I think that's also really important for us to say there's a reason there are specialists out yeah. there and that we need to seek them out and mm-hmm. and at least in all the children's hospitals that we work closely with they have them all and yes. so to utilize you know those specialists oh all of the specialists that we saw were incredible yeah and so good at their jobs and yeah i mean you know i just they have such a sweet spot in my heart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'll never forget them yeah what what do you feel like was the impact of just the fund, the Four Spence Fund had on your family? Well, like I said, you just being there, just presence in the NICU, presence right off the bat. Um, we had not, like we had lived away and I hadn't talked to you or seen you for a, a little while. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like, Brittany's here. Okay, I think I'm going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the presence and just the friendship and the having someone to just talk to and say, you know, on a bad day in the NICU or the day James threw up when we were supposed to go home, I, I remember mm-hmm. we were texting, um, just you being, making yourself available there mm-hmm. and um Connections. I don't think we talked about. So my parents lived very far, or still live very far from Labonner, mm-hmm. and that was going to be a long because I wanted to be there at rounds, ready mm-hmm. to hear what the doctor had to say each morning. And so you connected us with a social worker who got us set up at the FedEx house, mm-hmm. and so we were able to stay there. I was very thankful that they had some space for us so we could just walk across the street and come over mm-hmm. when the doctors rounded and kind of start our day, mm-hmm. start our pumping schedule and yeah. <laughs> all yeah. of that. And that really, too, the FedEx house had more to do with that y'all were living in Tupelo. Yes. You know, because there is a, a mileage that there has to be in order for the person to stay Um and so you had that ability to be able to do that as well. Well, I think on that part, just people are listening and that often feel as friends or community or family, you know, for you, your family reached out to me and family friends reached out to yeah. me. And I remember them even saying, she's not talking about it a lot. She's being pretty quiet about it. But we, in that, we don't know exactly how to help her. Right. But 
maybe you could help her. And so I remember getting the news and then I remember getting the news that you were delivering Mm -hmm. that day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that was really your friends and family being open with me to say, Hey, I don't know how much she's going to be open with you. Mm -hmm. She has been pretty private and pretty quiet about all of this, but we think she could use you. And so, you know, I had the ability to, to drive down that day and just be waiting. Um, I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, family and friends who (laughs) reached out to Brittany because I needed you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, was able to be there and be there. I mean, I do remember you being like wheeled in and, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you were hurting. I mean, you had literally just delivered and, (laughs) um, and, and that being such a a tough spot too. And in that, I remember being able to speak to Caleb and saying, Hey, your job, there's not a lot you can do for James right now, Mm -hmm. but your job is to, and, and Caleb is an incredible husband and father, but being able to say, and I often say to fathers, your job is to take care of your wife. You, she has to put her feet up. Mm-hmm. You know, she needs ice packs. She yes. needs, <laughs> you know, she needs her meds taken. She needs to, you know, if mm-hmm. she pumps, you clean the bottles, whatever it is. Yeah. Your job in these first couple of weeks is to do whatever you can to support your mm-hmm. wife. And I think men like to have jobs and oh, duties, yes. the standing there having nothing. And so I remember that on Caleb of him being like, Oh, I got this. Yes. I, oh, I'm so glad because they need guidance uh-huh. and he needed that guidance. And yeah. I'm so glad that you helped him there because yeah. he cleaned the bottles after every mm-hmm. time I pumped. That was yeah. his thing. Yeah. He loved to label them. Yeah. And then go get them in the freezer. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I so, think that's so important to because mm-hmm. when your baby is sitting there and truly so often we're told, like, don't mess with them. They need quiet. They need mm-hmm. to heal. It's even harder because you just sit there all day. And it, it tends to be, and what I've seen, women tend to have an easier job just sitting quietly mm-hmm. and not not being you know, oh, well, did men struggle with that a little mm-hmm. more? They need to. And so often we see the men pacing or they're yeah. like, I'm going to go. Oh, you need to go get something. I'll go get it. You yes. know, I need to go do them just sitting there is harder. And so yeah. often being able to tell dads and husbands like, OK, this these are your jobs. Yeah. And your job is that she can't not do well. She has to do well. Right. And so whatever that is, mm-hmm. you know, she's just had a major major thing happened to her giving birth. And that's what often is so hard with mothers with sick children is that every mother wants to quickly be there by their side Mm -hmm. when really the body isn't ready. I mean, they need time to heal. It's a reason that the minimum typically is two days you stay in hospital. So much of that is not only making sure the baby's okay, but you as a mother. We laughed so hard at what I packed. I was not I packed my running shoes. I thought I was going to go for a run (laughs) while James was healing. I thought, and I was, (laughs) it was a rude awakening. Yeah. I sat him in that NICU room and looked at him. Yeah. And watched him. Yeah. And just watched Mm -hmm. and tried to heal yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Well, thank you so much for telling your story and, um, telling James' story and just sharing with others because I think there is such power in being real and honest and open about your story and that yours did start, you know, while he was still in the womb and mm-hmm. that shock presence of this is not what I thought was. I, I thought I was coming to see his beautiful face mm-hmm. and get these awesome 4D pictures mm-hmm. and 
and for your whole life to kind of just be turned upside down and what that looks like. So thank you for sharing. Thank you um, for the way that you have served and give back. For those that don't know, she is my event coordinator, my... um, my designer for our cocktail party each year and um, does that just out of the goodness of her heart. And um, we're so thankful for her role within the Forcements Fund and what she's been able to do. So thank you to you and Kayla both for everything you do. Thank you for what you do. It's been super sweet to see just the way the fund has grown over the years and just the impact that Forrest has had on the world. Thank you. Well, thanks for being on. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.